I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, May 25th, 2021. Coming up, we take a bird's-eye view of Skunk Canyon with Boulder naturalists Steve Jones and Scott Sievers. We've had a doubling in numbers of birds like gray catbird, yellow-breasted chats. We have oven birds now nesting. And we hear why the city of Longmont is working hard to make room for beavers along its natural streams, even though spring runoff makes it challenging. And that's where you get these wallops of really strong water flows. These are the sounds of birds at 6 in the morning, up in the foothills just west of Boulder. It's a time of day when the airplanes aren't yet buzzing everything, and most people are fast asleep. Even before 5 a.m., these birds have been singing. During these early morning hours, it can seem that birds are the masters of the natural world. Joining the birds and nature are Boulder naturalists Steve Jones and Scott Sievers, hiking the Skunk Canyon Trail. Let's listen in. We've come to the Skunk Canyon drainage, which is at the base of the foothills along Boulder Mountain Parks, where the ponderosa pines and the green chokecherry and... We have sumac in here. There's a lot of apple trees up here, actually. The birds love that. The best predictor of songbird abundance is volume of foliage. Whether you're in a tropical jungle or you're out on the desert, there's so much to eat here. There's the wild plum and the choke cherry and so many nesting niches here. We've come here at dawn. We came early because that's when you can get singing of the local males on their territories here in early June. So we have been hearing a lot of male broad-tailed hummingbirds flying to and fro over the canopy. They're little zippy green hummingbirds, but the male's voice, literally, it's a non-vocal sound. It's made by a slot at the tip of his wings. And as he gets up to speed, that trilling sound is produced. The nearby sound is a spotted toey. That's sort of the most common bird in these foothill shrublands. They range out on the plains as well. Look at that view. That's just incredible. Of the fog shrouding the Flatirons up above Skunk Canyon. It's like those photos you see of Machu Picchu. The mist, these big rock formations emerging from the mist. Steve, I don't think I've seen it this late in spring, and it still hasn't fully greened up. I figured that out. It was that hard freeze we had on April 20th, I think it was. Uh, We had a 10-degree low temperature. Maybe it was even earlier. It might have been April 15th. It doesn't have to do with the rain or snow because we haven't had a hard freeze since April 20. So I think that just retarded the trees. They just stopped. Jim Knopf, who lives right over here, just 100 yards away, keeps records, and he has 40 years of records. And he says this ties the latest leaf out of the cottonwood trees in Boulder County since he 
started in 1983. Wow, that's really fascinating. Yeah. That's amazing. It's hard to measure because if you notice, some trees are fully leafed out and some are just barely starting. So it's hard to say when the leaf out is complete, but it's certainly not complete yet. You can no. still see some bare trees here. I'm totally surprised. Even a lot of the skunk brash sumac islands up on the hillside haven't leafed out at all. And you know, some people have asked if this is a record spring. It's been actually a very gentle spring. We've had about 11 inches of moisture the last three months, and the average is around eight. So it hasn't been catastrophic in any way at all. It's like this would be the ideal spring. And some people are concerned. They say, where are the birds? Why aren't they up in the mountains yet? And I say, well, they're just down here, and they're just feasting on all the fruits and insects down here in these foothills, canyons, and on the plains. These are often a stepping stone for the birds as they head on up to the foothills and mountains to nest. Now look at the flatirons. The sun's just hitting them through the mist. It's like ethereal. I think I'll take a picture too, Scott. So some of the other great shrubs we're seeing here are golden currant with bright yellow flowers. It's one of the early flowers that hummingbirds like to forage on. American plum that's just finished blooming. It's a dual-purpose plant. It provides pollen and nectar for bees and pollinators. And then in the fall, the fruits are great for bears and coyotes. God, I need you to stand over behind that clump of very handsome wild asparagus. You know, we talked about what a late year it is for the cottonwoods, but I think this is going to be a banner year for wild asparagus. What would you say, waist-high by the end of May. No, it's chest high. Don't harvest it. The critters love it. And also, we're not permitted to harvest things on open space. But there are about, what, 20 wild asparagus stalks. Beautiful. Cool thing is that in the fall, it looks like a giant tumbleweed with all sorts of red berries on it. I kind of liken them to nature's Christmas tree. I think I'll photograph it when it gets its berries. The poison hemlock's really going to be happy, too. Oh, my goodness, yes. The poison hemlock has this really airy, fern-like look to it. It definitely looks a lot like parsley or carrots, wild carrot. But it's a very toxic plant, so you don't want to get too close to it. We just crossed Skunk Creek, and we're heading up the hill. Luckily, Skunk Canyon's trail was rerouted out of the bottom of the canyon and up on the hillside for a very smart reason, because in the fall, there are bears working down in the drainage for berries and fruit to add weight for fall. Steve, the gray cat bird's on top of that shrub. Yeah, it's right in front of us. A lot of the secretive mountain birds, you can trip their secret by coming early and just sitting and watching because the males can't resist to come up to a perch to sing in the morning. You may not see them the whole rest of the day, but in the morning while they're establishing their territories, they're going to be out in the wide open. This great catbird's perched about 10 feet off the ground in a bare shrub. But the song we're going to hear now is continuous. Let's just listen to the song for a minute. So most of that is coming from one bird. 
catbirds, like mockingbirds, are mimic thrushes. All songbirds learn their songs. They're hardwired to sing, but they would just sort of sing babble until they grow up to be a year old, and then they listen to songs from members of their own species, and that's how they learn to sing. Mimic thrushes listen to everything, all the songs around them, car horns, sounds made by mammals, elk bugling, and they put it all together into a repertoire, which is a song. And if you could sort out the individual phrases this catbird is singing, you might get 70 or 80 different phrases. People often send me emails asking where the birds have gone. And I always say they've gone where the food is. And people read about disasters like climate change and especially insect die-off and think every time they go somewhere and they don't see birds, it's because of that. I think there are four factors on the plains and foothills of Boulder County that have changed our bird population significantly. The first one is gravel mining. We didn't really have lakes and ponds on the plains historically. So now we have all these ducks, hooded mergansers and wood ducks and so forth. The second one is the invasion of trees onto the plains. We have all these eastern deciduous species in Boulder County now that we didn't have before. The third one is right here, and very few people think of this. It's the removal of cattle from these foothills, canyons, and it's had a profound effect on our bird populations. We've had a doubling in numbers of birds like gray catbird, yellow-breasted chats. We have oven birds now nesting here, which probably didn't nest historically. They're a bird of eastern deciduous forests but they like this dense undergrowth. Recently, we've had all these reports of bobcats around the city of Boulder. They now have cover so they can avoid the coyotes. So this is a really good thing we've done for the environment is removal of the cattle. And then the final good thing that's happened is the maturation of our forests. We haven't had a major logging event in Boulder County now for 150 years. And as our forests get older, they're getting more rich in native species. So there are actually a lot of things going on that are benefiting birds. And Scott, I'd be willing to bet there are many more birds and bird species in Boulder County now than there would have been 200 years ago. Yeah, definitely by far. Those early days in our white American history, these forests are really, really exploited for everything they could give to the people who lived here. Everything was really scoured. Yes. The canyons were scoured. So in that sense, some really good things are happening. Now, climate change is starting to impact our birds. It's just a little slower process. But overall, this area looks greener than I imagined. It looked even before the Europeans came here because it would have been pretty heavily grazed by bison and elk prior to then. So in a way, we've created a slightly artificial environment, but it's a very lush environment. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. We've been listening in as Boulder naturalists Steve Jones and Scott Seavers hike the Skunk Canyon Trail in the foothills west of Boulder. Steve and Scott are members of the Boulder County Nature Association. They also share with Ruth Carol Cushman what's happening in the natural world on the monthly feature, The Nature Almanac, that broadcasts the first Friday of every month during the Morning Magazine. I'm Shelley Schlender. 
Up next, we talk with naturalist Scott Seavers about the beaver dam within the city of Longmont and about helping restore beavers to natural habitats. Scott Seavers, what is your title for the city of Longmont? For Longmont, I'm a natural resources wildlife technician. Does the city of Longmont allow beavers within the city limits? Yes, we do. We have a policy of coexistence with beavers, only in extreme cases where they might be damaging private property from a city property or if they were damaging city trees that might be planted trees like cherries or ornamental trees, would we have them removed? And we'd probably ask that they be removed humanely and relocated. When we did the last Nature Almanac, you and Ruth Carol Cushman described a lot of the ways that the city of Longmont is allowing beavers to be there with chicken wire around the trees to protect and lots of beautiful places created by the beavers because they made shallow ponds out of the streams now and then running through the city. Yeah, basically we have caged or painted with a special paint called beaver paint, the trees that are the nicest ones to keep. But then we've left remaining vegetation and food sources for the beavers along the creek. Let me read you what the Colorado State Department of Wildlife says about beavers. Beavers are abundant in Colorado. Would you agree? I wouldn't say that their numbers rival pre-settlement days. There were a lot of beavers here prior to the settlement of Colorado and prior to the fur trade for beaver pelts. There are some reports by naturalists that 90% of the beavers in Colorado and really across the whole United States are gone. That's probably very accurate. It's only recently that the beavers have started to come back into some of the traditional places that they once were. Ecologists have just noticed when those beavers are allowed to come back to the streams that they previously occupied, what they were truly missing in terms of stream modification and keeping those streams less channelized and more vibrant and successful for all kinds of different species. Well, when you talk about channelization, that's what most people know. If they look at a stream going through a town or a city, it's quite often in between two concrete walls and made as straight as possible or going through ditches. It's better for the environment to have streams meander and for there to be an occasional shallow pond. In an ecological sense, very much so. That's kind of what these beavers are doing. They're creating ponds. They're creating sinuosity. They're letting the siltation of these streams come back and refill these deeply incised creeks that have been damaged by grazing for many, many years. These streams are sort of rebuilding their profiles back to shallow and meandering streams. If there can be a beaver on it. Yes, if there can be a beaver, yeah. Now, the Colorado Fish and Wildlife Department writes that it takes a beaver approximately 30 minutes to fell a 5-inch diameter tree. It is the case that ranchers, some people consider beavers a nuisance. Yeah, even within the city, we've had various opinions from the public. Some people will come up to me and say, we've got to get the beavers out of here, they're destroying the trees. We have other people say, oh, I love the beavers, we love to watch them. In a setting where you might have trees that are really special, yeah, they might take down a tree that was uh, a favorite tree. If you're a rancher, it might have been a tree that provided shade for cattle. And that's the reason for the paint that has a little bit of sand in it so the beavers don't want to chew a tree. Yeah, the paint basically is a mixture of paint and sand, and it prevents the beavers from chewing down the trees to be protected. And the same for caging. 
Scott, there's a lot of ways to live with beavers. Yes. In Colorado, beavers can be hunted pretty much as many beavers as you want you can bag during the hunting season. Yeah, it's an odd conundrum because a lot of the beaver management that's still in place is, I hate to say it, but it's archaic. It's game management from the early 19th century where beavers were viewed as pests or commodity for a pelt. They weren't recognized for their huge benefit for ecological needs. Here's what the Colorado State Department of Fish and Wildlife says. Beavers are considered a fur-bearer species and may be harvested October 1 through April 30th. Fur-bearer is an insulting and disrespectful term to use for any animal. It's still used and it's so outdated. Like It's a human economic importance because it has fur that we can kill it and use their fur. And harvesting is a very disrespectful term. They should just say killing if they're going to talk about that. It's this whole idea that humans are complete control and the environment is here to serve us, not to enchant us. Now, when we did a piece about the beavers for the Nature Almanac, we decided not to include the exact location of the beaver dams because there was some concern that the laws are vague enough. Somebody who likes to harvest beavers, I mean, kill a whole beaver family for fur or for any other reason, there's just a chance that they might be able to if they could find the location within the city of Longmont and know it exactly. Yeah, um, the city would probably strongly protest if somebody did that. The city isn't going to allow people to trap beavers without properly getting the stuff that they would need to get from the state of Colorado to do it. And when that permit came up for review, the city would probably say, no, (laughs) we're not going to allow you to trap beavers within the city limits. And I should clarify, Scott, you're not saying that the city of Longmont opposes hunting or trapping. Hunting and trapping are activities that many people engage in in Colorado, and they're regulated by the Colorado Division of Wildlife. What I was saying earlier is when we treat animals as if they're corn or wheat, and we talk about harvesting them, or we talk about bearing fur, it's as if they were put here just for our use. What they're doing in this Longmont program with the beavers is wonderful because they're treating the beavers with respect. They're trying to help restore them to their natural role in the environment, while at the same time, protecting parts of the environment that could be damaged by too much beaver usage. Our philosophy within our ecosystem management group within the city of Longmont is restoration of our properties, and we really want to try to work them back to some sort of function. They have really great fisheries in these lakes, and they have a lot of great bird life and mammalian life, so we're trying to boost those things. Beavers are part of that. Beavers are part of that. And when you've been out there, you've commented that people who know about the beavers, who have found out about them through friends, for the most part, they're thrilled with all the wildlife and the fact that real beavers are right there in the city of Longmont making these beautiful ponds. We've had more encounters favorable about beavers than other comments. Now, you've put in special devices so that the beavers can build their dams without the dam causing such a high water level that it might flood surrounding buildings. And unfortunately, you've had to take those beaver deceivers out recently. Yeah, beaver deceivers have worked really well 
in other settings. The jury's still out on whether the beaver deceivers can work on Left Hand Creek. The dynamics of that stream are so extreme from very low flows, around 8 cubic feet per second in non-runoff times. Recently, the flows have been up to 200 cubic feet per second. That's a lot. And that's a lot of pressure on this man-made object that we've anchored in through the dam to allow water levels to normalize. But water is a powerful element, and it's pushing so hard on those beaver deceivers that we are determining whether we, we can make them work or if they need some design modifications to work better. It's a challenge all the way around. A beaver deceiver is basically a large pipe that sneaks in through the middle of a beaver dam yes. to siphon off water if it gets past a certain height Correct. without the beavers realizing that there's an object there that's lowering the level of their pond. Right. They're such perfectionists and engineers, yeah. you have to be really sneaky. Yeah, you have to be very sneaky because they do not want to hear any water leaking. To them, that's like the little boy at the dike putting his thumb in, and they're going to try to dam everything they can hear that's leaking. Peter in the dike, yeah. yeah. Beaver in the dike. Yeah. Now, those dams and those beavers are having to deal with water that's been channelized, yes. meaning that all of the water in the city of Longmont, there's just a lot more pressure because... The water upstream comes from places where there are tall concrete walls that make the water be narrow and high and fast. Yes. That means that the pressure coming in to this beaver pond and beaver dam is far higher than it would be in nature. And even without the beaver deceiver there, it could blast out the dam. Yeah, very much so. This is, I think, what is our challenge with the beaver dams and the deceivers, but the, even just the dams themselves. Where we have beaver downstream of the city, it is taking all the pressure from the water from multiple neighborhoods and their storm drains. Storm drains take all the water that comes in form of rain or snow and drains it into the creek, and the creek has been designated as a basically a water removal device from these neighborhoods. And when you get all that water pushing into the creek, you get these really catastrophic flows that aren't necessarily in a wild setting where the water is much more dissipated and can trickle in gradually. But here these neighborhoods are pushing it all into the channel of the creek at once, and it pushes all that extreme pressure of water downstream, and that's where you get these wallops of really strong water flows Cause and effect, the yeah. cause of trying to create a very tidy city yeah. means actually that a lot less of the natural rainfall is soaking into the ground and rebuilding the natural aquifers and streams and waterways, yeah. and instead is just roaring down on its way to the Gulf of Mexico. Well, and we've seen this, unfortunately, a very big example of this is the city of Houston in Texas. They've eliminated all their natural landscapes around the periphery of the city. The city is a big flat pan of hard surface, and they've had that catastrophic flooding that occurred in the last few years. In other words, if there are beaver dams, they actually reduce catastrophic flooding, even though if they get too high, the ponds, they can be a nuisance in the area. Yeah. When we speak about the dams being a nuisance, it's kind of a nuisance because, unfortunately, in Colorado, if we'd had some sort of foresight before 
we developed these areas. We probably would should have set back the city boundaries from these streams with a pretty substantial buffer so that we don't have the trail right down the bottom of the stream. And in fact, that was one of the great benefits of the Big Thompson flood tragedy, where people died because of the huge amount of water that came down the Big Thompson 40 years ago, basically. But that meant that a lot of cities, including Boulder and Longmont, looked at the fact that if you have recreational uses along streams instead of building buildings, you're going to save a lot of lives because there won't be people there sitting when a flood happens. Longmont does have a building buffer for all the streams. It's a 200-meter setback from the top of the bank. But... uh, It could be even bigger. It could be even bigger, yeah. Yeah. If hindsight 2020, which is so true in so much of what we've done ecologically to our environment. You've had people in Longmont tell you how restorative it is to be walking, to be enjoying the natural wetland habitat that's created by the beavers and just this thrill of knowing that birds are there and beaver are there too. Yeah, very much so. Those dams are a discussion point for their families and their children. They love to look at the logs that have had the bark removed and eaten alongside the stream channel. And there's a lot of storytelling going on about what the beavers are doing for their lodges and their families. So we're still not going to give the address of this beaver dam you think is smarter for the sake of the beavers? Or do you think we can share it? I think for our listening audience, if you wanted to go look for beavers in Longmont, probably if you went from Main Street down to the Confluence East to the St. Vrain Creek, you might find some beavers in there. Scott Seavers, what's your title again? I'm the Senior Wildlife Technician for the City of Longmont. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Joel Parker. This week's show was produced and engineered by yours truly, Shelley Schlender. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Special bird recordings today from Skunk Canyon, thanks to Steve Jones, from his album, Dawn Chorus. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender.